Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and you are listening to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories. At Soul Stories, we create spaces for risk-taking, vulnerability, and critical thought. On this season of the podcast, we speak to change makers about their personal journeys and how they are making an impact in their communities. Kamga, the Soul Stories podcast producer and engineer, sits down to discuss his journey as a husband, storyteller, and immigrant from Cameroon. Starting out in his home country's education system, he was placed on a track to become a professional in the sciences. Growing up, he was shy and considered himself boring. It wasn't until he learned how to choose himself, develop a love for writing, and express himself openly that he really come alive. He speaks to dealing with mental health issues, meeting the love of his life, Queenie, his intention to become a father, and how he wants his writing to connect with those who have had similar experiences to himself. Kamga is a good friend and incredibly sweet soul. I think you will really enjoy this one. Hey, Kamga. Hey, Danny. How's it going? So far, so good. Yeah? Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's been nice playing around with microphones with you for the last 10 minutes. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, so uh, tell me about yourself. Who are you? Well, that's a difficult question for me to answer because I've been thinking about it a lot the past month, and I realized that a lot of my identity has been tied to what I do which is writing and creative work and everything. And I started questioning myself about who I really was as a husband, as a brother, sibling, family member. And I'm finding out that I need to become more self-aware to know what, who, I'm, who I am and where I want to go. So I could say I write, but I wouldn't consider myself a writer because that's limiting. I also make, uh, I make things on the internet. So I write, I make videos, I make audios, and I love books and writing. Mm. And I guess to answer that question requires to actually have this podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. that's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is you consider yourself a creative. Yes, 100%. I, I consider myself somebody who, a knowledge worker. So mm. most of the time, like throughout my life, I've always had to deal with ideas and take those ideas and make something, whether it's a poem or some short fiction that I'd never finished or my book I started in 2004 that I never finished or the novel I'm working on. It's always around something I'm making. Yeah, I consider myself a creative. Yes. Mm. Well, uh, let's let's bring it back for a second. So we met at the Whittier Cafe Yeah. at an open mic and you and your wife were reading poetry and stories, right? Yeah. I have the privilege of knowing your background, but I think your background is fascinating, and I think the listeners would love to hear it too. Okay. Um, first off, I guess we saw the obvious, which is that six months, seven months ago, I wasn't here in the U.S. Like I left Cameroon to come and join my wife, and we've been here. We got married. So I left in June. We got married in August, and this is February now where we are basically figuring out what we're doing with our lives. And before that... One thing that you might, I don't think I've even told you this yet, is that I went to school to become a scientist. So, oh, shit. Yeah, in, in Cameroon, the English, the, the educational system, like if you go to the English-speaking part of the country, what we consider the Anglophone 
educational system is that you have uh, seven years of, I'm still finding it difficult to do the whole middle school thing in the US, but so when I was 10 years old, I started secondary school, what we call secondary school. So I was 10, from 10 to five, I did, uh, we did like a bunch of subjects, biology, chemistry, physics, like everything, like 11 subjects. So it was biology, chemistry, physics, math, literature, geography, history, and a bunch of other things. And so in form five, you have a bunch of 14, 15 year olds and 16 year olds who have to decide what they're going to do for the rest of their lives, either arts or science. Mm. So if you do the arts, you tend to become a lawyer, an economist, an artist, basically you're a writer. Like that's what arts people do. And if you do sciences, you're going to do biology, chemistry, physics, and all that. You'll be a doctor or an engineer. So I still find it weird that they expect kids to know what they want to do with your future at this particular age. I know, I'm 27 <laughs> and I still have no fucking clue. <laughs> Man, my birthday is coming up in a couple of days, I'll be 29, so like, yeah. Dang, <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm 14, 15, oh, no, I'm 15, 2005. I've never met my wife by then. And I need to decide, do I want to do arts or science? Turns out when I write this uh, ordinary level certificate, I have really good grades. Like it, I pass all my grades, it's really awesome. And I'm like, well, I like writing because I've been showing signs of writing, I want to do arts. But my parents being the really nice people that they are, are thinking about my future and the economy, I'm like, well, artists don't make that much money. You know, you should, right. you should What's go for practical the- <laughs> about the arts. Exactly. You're like you should do science because you know, scientists get paid, they're doctors. I have an uncle who's a gynecologist. Like, most of my cousins who traveled across, left the country were like, Yeah, doing either medicine or nursing or something. So, at that point in my life, I don't think I had uh, the good sense to be like, You know what? I, I, I get it. You guys are looking out for me, but I don't like this and I'm not going to like it. But I didn't say that. So, I did sciences, mm. I did, I did uh, biology, chemistry, physics, and math. And I struggled in school to finish the last two years. Like, it's only now that I see that I actually struggled. And I think I lost all my sense of self-esteem at that period where I, I just, I mean, I know I'm smart, but I keep failing. I know I, I, right. I know I know something, but my life isn't moving. So I finished with a science uh, diploma and I have to get now a degree in a science subject. Is this high school or college? High school. Okay. So now I'm getting to college and I have to get something that has to do with science. In Cameroon. Yeah, in Cameroon. So I go to the University of Boya and I failed all medical entrance exams because <laughs> the obvious thing is, well, you do sciences and you're smart, you write medical exams and you become a doctor. Like it's, it's, it's a clear proven path. Right. Nobody goes elsewhere. So he said, you're a doctor or an engineer, basically. And I didn't like math, so doctor. And I failed all the entrance exams and I started doing biochemistry because that's the obvious choice. When you fail medicine, you do biochemistry. It's mm-hmm. like my whole life for like, all my existence when I was young up to when I was say 22 was like, yeah, that's what they say, so I do it. That's what it works, so I do it. Right. So I spent seven years in college where most people spend three years. I, I fail at biochemistry, so I restart, and then I now write an entrance exam into medical laboratory science that I get into. And for four years, I still suck at school. And I don't like it, but I don't know what I like. And I think I should note here that the only person who actually knew what was going on in my life between what I liked and what I didn't like was my wife. Because we met in high school. She was in my class science. So that's like the one thing that the one good thing that happened that I went to well, science. Well, your wife is a doctor. Oh, she is a doctor so now. So <laughs> you met her on that path. Yeah. But then I met her and the next year she left for the US. Are you serious? Yeah. We met in 2006 and then 2007, she left. So she's been in the US since then. Wait, are you are you serious? I'm serious. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so it's like the one good thing that happened to us was that I missed my calling <laughs> early in life. 
Yeah. That's inspiration right there. <laughs> yeah. So um, when she left, we were talking on the phone, like uh, Yahoo Messenger and Google Hangout. Well, I don't think Google Hangout was available at the time. But yeah, we, we were always on the phone talking and everything. And she was the only person I could talk to. Yeah. She knew I was suffering, but then I, I was scared of telling my parents, like, I don't like this. I just, I just couldn't. Like One thing that most uh, African or immigrant children will realize is like your parents work so hard to give you like a future and then you have this guilt to tell them, hey, actually, I don't like this. I don't, right. I don't like what I'm doing and it's just, it just sucks that you can't be so open with your own parents. Right, because they're going through like many odds that can seem insurmountable. Yeah, and you see them suffer and do all these things and then it, there's always this <laughs> weird guilt where it's like they, I call it personal emotional blackmail where your parents be like, oh, you're going to give me high blood pressure. <laughs> yeah. What kind of example are you telling your, your siblings? Like, right. Yeah, parents always have these weird emotional weapons they use to force you to do what they want without necessarily telling you. Oh my God, I yeah. <laughs> my mom did that to me all the time too. How did that work out? <laughs> well, she'd be like, man, I forget what some of her guilt trips were, but I felt there was a point in time where she was like, you know, Danny, you probably should be a priest. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I forget where that was coming from, but I, she's like, I, I don't know if I'm feeling that, mom. But <laughs> you know. Yeah, so... Seven years, I spent my time in UB. Like I was, I was one of the youngest in my class. UB is the university I went to, University of Boya in yep. the southwest region of the country. Okay, I never felt like I could do anything. I had, I think, I lost all myself, my sense, uh, my self esteem, self confidence. Like even my relationships at that period were just. Like my life was just passing by. I was just like a, a silent. I was just watching it. Like, oh, what am I doing here? Oh, I have a class. All right, cool. But I, I didn't feel like I was in control of anything in my life. Right. And I think what changed for me was around 2011, 2012, where I I found James Altucher's blog, and I started reading about choosing yourself and doing what you want mm. and make, taking these steps towards daily practice about this, uh, doing something every day in, in spiritual aspect, physical aspect, mental aspect, and emotional aspect. Like cutting off people you don't like being more assertive, uh, praying, and really finding my own core. Mm. And what happened, I think this is basically the voice of God. I don't know how else to explain it. I was told to do journalism and mass communication. Like nobody in my family has ever done any of this. And where did that come from? I don't know. God, I guess. (laughs) Because it was something I was just sitting and I'm like, huh, I I should do this. Like, it literally was the kind of intuition where it's like, I don't know why I should do it. It just popped. It just popped. Like, it really just popped. The only thing I did was I called a friend who could have an idea. Like, what do you need to do this in University of Boya? He's like, actually, you don't need any specific subjects because I've done sciences. So what happens in in college, like we call it university in Cameroon, is yeah. you need to get certain subjects, you know, to do certain things. So mm-hmm. for journalism, you really didn't need anything. That was like the coolest thing because I had good grades. So I applied. And in my head, I was so confident I was going to get in there even before I got there. My, my father was scared. I was like, are you sure it's going to work out? I mean, it's when I changed my mind, my mom literally cried. Like, why are you doing this to us? Why are you making us so miserable? Because I was I was trying to... <laughs> the mic almost fell. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get... <laughs> I, if the listener could have been here to see that, Kamga <laughs> made a really impressive catch I know, right? of that microphone. <laughs> so we're we're still here, okay? We're still moving forward. Yep. I, I think my life from 2012 to now has been a series of looking at m- being very reflective. Like, what do I want? Where am I going? And being more intentional on my choices. From that point to now, I've always tried to make sure that I am doing things that I want to do. 
and there've been consequences. There've been relationships that bridges have burned, having to have arguments with my parents I didn't want to have uncomfortable conversations, but I feel more comfortable now being myself because I chose myself and started yeah. making these decisions where I was doing things because I wanted them to. And so how what have some of those consequences been? You talked about burn bridges. Can you give me an example, a moment that like maybe you've still held on to? Yeah. Yeah, there's one one that sticks out that people who listen to this who know me will remember. I had this friend when we in, in in college, like yeah, I'm saying college now, like a, like a good American, <laughs> <laughs> where we were we were like brothers, like we were really close, and we had this bond that we were very different. Like he was very he was artistic as well, but we're different kinds of people, and mm-hmm. and we we bonded over things like music and animes and you know things that you know it was it was a it was it was a real bromance I, I could say like yeah I liked the guy and he liked me right but one of the things that happened was it's I don't even know if I should talk about this is just so weird I've never talked about this on any 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 medium where. Because of a girl, we actually had this thing because of a woman, mm. and that burned our bridge. And even now, I didn't, I still didn't end up with a woman. Eventually, like we, we, I think we both liked the same girl, and he played on me for me not to want to get the girl. And when I found out, I was very angry, and I literally destroyed the relationship. What does that? What does destroyed mean? What does that like, look like? It looks like I went out of my way to make sure that he felt my pain. What did you do? Can you uh, share that, or is that too personal? I think I think what I did that I look back. I mean, I did it anyway. It's that I went to the people who trusted and told them that he's he's an asshole. Like the what uh, he did wasn't nice, and I don't like it. And this is what it is, and I don't think you should be friends with him. And oh, uh, so you like cut his ties? Yeah, I did. I Dang. did. <laughs> yeah, ruthless. <laughs> I was, and I still am in some ways. Like I <laughs> don't like competition, and especially yeah. because he was dishonest. Like for me, the worst thing is dishonesty. Like yeah, I if, hear that. Yeah, if you don't like me, I like like I I know you don't like me. That's cool, but don't pretend like you do, and then go behind my back and do some really weird things. And that's one thing where I found that I would not tolerate certain things and I was willing to go and make the point. In the past, when I was younger, people would do things to me. Like, I, I actually was bullied as a kid in secondary yeah, school because... me too. Yeah, it was like, well, I couldn't fight for myself. I was scrawny. And then I'd had like two surgeries, so I'd never had to do any physical work. I was told to like, no, just stay there. So what happened was when I moved to secondary school for the first time was even my, that was the first time ever that I left my home my parents it was a boarding school I went to and I lost everything like I lost all my clothes I lost all the stuff I came with to school mm-hmm. and this one guy proposed to give me like clothes and stuff but then in return I'll give him like my fish and fish was a very rare commodity in school and my bread in the morning and I could when I look back now, like how like I, fish to eat yeah, or fish to eat. Oh, okay. Yeah, I so you had like a pet fish that you were <laughs> no. to trade. It's like okay, you know. no, we don't have pet anything. Well, we do have pet animals, but it's not as it's not as important. It's not like a huge part of the culture. It's not as yeah. insane as Denver is about dogs. Well, funny story is that I actually fell in love with dogs when I moved. Really? Like, yeah. When I, you came here? Yeah. I, <laughs> it's uh, it's both a sad and empowering story because my wife had this dog that. Um, was a huge part in her life when she was going through a lot of difficulty. And she's, she always says, like, she doesn't know who saved who, whatever. She saved the dog or the dog saved her because she was really going through a oh, difficult time. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And then he passed uh, a couple of months ago. Mm. Yeah. So it was, it was a, I felt so much pain for her. And I was like, yeah, I, I would like to get a dog in the future. So let's, let's <laughs> tie up three stories, I think, right yeah. now. There's two, two stories I want to tie up right now. 
uh, the fish yeah. for the clothes. Yeah. And then your friend and how you handled that. During the fish, <laughs> fish period, during that period, <laughs> I, um, I was very much under the pressure of being the firstborn child in a home where I had siblings who were looking up to me and I didn't know how to speak about my emotions. Mm. Like even having this conversation right now, it's weird, but it's so much progress from who I was at a time. Yeah. Like I would go through all these periods of depression and not knowing what I wanted, being unsure of my life, doubting if I was actually good enough to have a date. Like I literally had so much doubt that the only thing that kept me going, I think was books and all these other places I could disappear to. And a few friends that stood out, like my best friend right now, we met in high school and it's one of the coolest people I ever know and the smartest too that I know. Yeah. And when I look at that fish incident and how I let People tell me what to do, whether it was my parents or the bully and everything. So the bully, he, you gave him fish. Yeah. And he gave you clothes? Was that like a... It was, was, it was like an unwritten agreement and it was weekly. It wasn't like one time. But how is that bullying? Because even like he would come and get the clothes back unless I or doubled the amount of fish I was giving him or added more oh, things to give him. So it was like a power and control yeah. game. So it would leave from fish to be like food, to be like bread. And you had like this small bread in the morning. That was like the only thing you ate. So it was like, yeah, I need you to give me my bread. I need you to give me your bread next morning. Oh, yeah. And then I didn't have a choice because if not, he was like, yeah, I'll take the clothes back. Yeah. So it's either I complied to his what he wanted or I didn't have any clothes to wear. Yeah. And that was a difficult period that I think I just bottled up and I didn't know how to deal with it. I think the whole idea of... Even now, when I look at my, my habits and how I'd like to control and know where what is, it's like, it's a relic of the period when I didn't have any control over what to even wear, what right. to eat. Yeah. Right. Like this bully's controlling your clothing. He's controlling what you give him. Your parents are choosing your path. Yeah. A lot of things, like now I'm seeing a therapist and I'm seeing that I build this complex system to navigate the world because I didn't know what to expect when I would expect it. Like right. even with my mom, for example, there were times when she would say things that in hindsight look really weird for a mom to say, but I'm like, well, that's what happens here. It's just Africa, man. That's, that's just how it works. Mm. But I didn't see the damage it was causing in my psyche where I felt- Right, culture. Well, yeah, less less, less and less confident. And even now it's like, I feel nervous for the weirdest things. Like my wife was laughing at me the other day because she had to put gas. And I was like, you should have told me earlier let me prepare myself to get to put get, like <laughs> right. you've done this before like, i've done it two times i need to know what i'm doing so i have these leftovers from a period where i didn't know what was going on or how to behave because somebody would just get on like yeah you did this now you deserve this mm. so it's it's i'm I, I guess i'm still working on knowing that not everybody is out to kill me or to get something from me right yeah well that's a safer way to live in the world too because <laughs> yeah. if everyone's out to kill you then you can always have your defenses up that's and you can't how, be surprised. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I got married to my wife is like nobody else could deal with it. I think she's <laughs> she, she's the only person on earth who could literally say like, you know what? I know you're scared and you're not going to say it, but yeah, you'll be fine. But now I'm learning to be like, okay, you know what? I'm nervous. I I'm worried. I'm learning. I'm literally learning emotions now, like mm. feelings and how to say them. Yeah, and how to just speak about them. Yeah, and it it backfires. Sometimes you say things like, ah, oh, I should have thought about that better. There was a better way. I said I was so insensitive. Why did I say that? Right, it comes yeah. from like an impulsive moment. And yeah, you're like fuck. Exactly. Like even even using explosive or something like, oh, I'm so I'm so self conscious, and I mean I lived in a culture where I consume so much American content that I I felt like an outsider within my own country before I even left. I felt mm. like I shouldn't be here 
people would actually tell me like, yeah, you should not be in Cameroon. Like, you this is not this is not your time. This is not your place. You are not born for it. Because my ideas, the way I saw the world, was different. Like, I didn't want to get a regular job. I didn't want to just go somewhere and work. I mean, I was smart, and then I'll I'll quit from jobs that people were like, why would you quit from that? That's so important. I'm like, I didn't like it. I didn't feel anything from it. Mm. But then I have to start explaining myself to people who just don't get why I did what I did. It sounds like you developed that, though. Because initially, from the beginning of your story, what I'm hearing is that you were following everyone else's lead. Yeah. And then there was a point in Cameroon where you were, like, only choosing yourself. That, And can you explain how you developed that skill? I, I Yeah. I, well, you put it really well. Like, I think it's a skill because... I always point to 2011 because that's when I read James Altucher. And I think from there, I started reading other people. Like the people I quote now, like Ryan Holiday and Gary Vaynerchuk and Srini Rao, who I met today, which was awesome. Mm. And um, I, I think I found out that the way I learn is by reading and studying and making my own decisions. Like when people tell me what they want to tell me, I'm like, okay, you said that's your opinion, but I need to hear from a source that I trust. And for me, trust is built by successive and consistent creation of results. Yeah. Like if somebody says that, you know what, if you do this, this is a win. I'm like, oh, did you do it? I'm like, all right, he did it. Cool. So I think what happened was I built a personal trove of mentors that I could turn to for whether it's psychology or entrepreneurship or creativity. Like I built this place where I could really ask questions and get answers. Like the internet helped me a lot, like podcasts and books. And from then on, I was latching on like, when I'll hear a name mentioned many times, like, all right, who is this writer? So I'll go and read the person, read his interviews, watch the podcast, watch everything, and then get my own idea of what should be and then move on. So there's this cycle where, for example, now I don't read a lot of James Altucher anymore. Like when I come across a writer or a creator that, I resonate with, I learn all I need to learn and then I move to the next person. Yeah. So I, I hardly go back to like, oh yeah, I, I need to read this person all the time. So I don't read James anymore, but I still listen to his podcast. And I don't, I don't read Gary Vaynerchuk anymore, but I still listen to his Instagram. And I think what happened, and especially what changed for me was being able to pay my own bills. Mm. That that made, it built a situation where my parents couldn't tell me what to do anymore because I didn't have much control over how much I earned or what I did with my life. And, that independence allowed me to make mistakes and then learn from those mistakes. That me to be able to pay for a house and then know that, okay, you know what? If I don't work to this month, I will not have anything to pay for it. And realizing too that I was an outlier because I was just weird. Like, I think weird is a good word sometimes. I was, I was, just, I was just different. I love <laughs> the word weird yeah. so much. It was a funny story. In high school, I was the most boring person you could ever come across. <laughs> like my friends literally called me Bordomido. Like it was, I was so boring. They gave me a name. Say that word again. Bordomido. <laughs> Bordomido. What does that mean? <laughs> like boredom and ido. Like Bordomido. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was just like a weird seventeen-year-old mockery fest. And um, I did. I could never even believe that I actually could be a good writer. I think. I mean, my this is just kind of. I think like, because I started writing. I also started a blog in two thousand twelve. That's one thing to that added to my self-confidence. Mm. I started writing online in 2012 and many people liked it. So I guess I fed from the the success of, oh, actually I'm, I'm good at something. Like from, from being terrible at everything and school, which was the only thing like, oh, actually I, I'm actually good at this. Right. Yeah. And that changed a lot for me. I think what's really cool about that is you talk about you're changing from being terrible at everything to finding this thing. Yeah. But really, it just sounds like you're finding your own form of self-expression. 
I don't know if I, I don't even know if we ever succeed to do it. It's like, I was talking with Swingy today about the whole idea of being a creative and then having so many ideas because I, I started a YouTube channel and people were like, oh, for a starter, that's really good. I helped a friend do a podcast and he was really happy. He actually paid for me to do it. And I write and people are like, I'm like, I can do so many things and I'm loving it, but there's only so much time in the world, like so much time in one day and in a lifetime. Like, what do I actually do that represents me? And some people will say, you know what, pick one. But Sydney actually said, pick one and go with it. I'm like, which one do I pick? <laughs> yeah. I, I seem to be okay with all of them. Like, which one? And I agree. It's, a, it's, a, it's like an obsession that I have that I'm coming to terms with knowing that I'll probably do this till I die and I should be okay with the fact that I'll never finish it. Like, I might never finish and I might never find whatever it is I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something that, I mean, even outside of monetary success and, you know, branding and picking the thing and being successful, one thing I'm hearing is just you feel alive. I I see it in your expression <laughs> when you talk about this. You're like, yeah, I was boring in high school. And that would not be the word I would describe you as right now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and in all this, in all this change and the growth, like the one thing that, that is permanent that has been for the past 12, 13 years is my wife. Before we got married, she was my best friend before we got married. And she was the one person I could actually talk to or who could actually listen. Because most mm. people in my life didn't, like, in Cameroon, you can't say, you're I mean, it's not that things are changing, but you can't actually say, like, actually, I feel depressed. I'm like, yeah, that's not an American thing. That's a white man. You got a white <laughs> man thing. Like, yeah, it's not possible. We I don't get depressed that's here. that's even said here. <laughs> that's just depression's just a white people thing. Yeah, it's like, but you, you see friends who are going through tough times and especially male friends, like they go through these periods where they, they're, they're either drinking or trying to go through as many women as possible instead of actually dealing with the real issue, which right. is that they have issues. Yeah, I've uh, totally been there. It's, uh, I wrote an article about coming to America because I was in this period where November was a really hard period for me. I think I went through the worst homesickness where I felt like I really wish my parents were here. I really wish my siblings were here. It was a period during which it was, it was, I felt bad for not being able to contribute with my wife. Like we live here and she pays for everything, like literally pays for every single thing that, that I'm doing. Mm. And yeah, she's okay with it. But then am I, I mean, sometimes I am sometimes like I should be able to do more, you know, but November hit me hard. And where I found solace was really other people on the internet, people who've immigrated, people who were like me, who had, who reached out and wrote these really cool notes, and I made some really great friendships because I expressed that pain through writing on Medium. People like uh, Shannon Ashley and Trisha Trova, like On Medium.com. Yeah, yeah Medium.com, where I write, actually write a lot more there for some really interesting reason that I found, is that my parents don't read it, so I get to write what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, no uh, consequences. <laughs> yeah. And they might read it someday, but like you said, self-expression coming to the place where I realized that I will die and I need to tell my story. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. That's powerful. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. I can't believe I just said that. But that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I love that. That was one of the intentions of starting this podcast was I was hoping, it, hoping the person on the other end would say something like, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> Yeah, this is actually my first interview on the podcast. So this is awesome, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. keep going. All right. Um, talk to me about your depression. Talk to me about how you handle that. It sounds like it's both a battle you've figured out how to manage and it is also still ongoing. In the past, actually, it's when I look back, I realized that I actually went through some dark periods where 
because I was in an environment that didn't really promote isolation, I, I, I sort of coasted through it and then came out. Like I didn't even know I was depressed because it was like, all right, um, my life sucks. I feel terrible. I don't feel like I can do anything in the world. Like I have nothing. But because I have siblings, because I have friends, and they will hang out and do all these things, I think I just, you know, picked on other people's energies and then just build on that. And talking about energy, I'm actually an introvert. Like, that's one thing that I never realized how important it was to my existence and how draining it could be if I put myself in situations where I wasn't in control of the energy. Mm. And it's one particular job that both elevated and destroyed me where I figured out that I was an introvert because I was working as... um, it would tie in with a depression, don't worry. I was working as uh, uh, an event manager. So I, I would organize events and do poetry nights and handle social media and writing and everything. I was doing a lot. That's a, and, dope, that's a dope job. Yeah, it was. I was at a really dope place. Like I found one of my mentors there. It was a really cool dude. Like Alex, he, he, he changed, he blew my mind in terms of what was possible as an artist because he had done spoken word poetry before. He was an entrepreneur. He was dyslexic. Uh, he is, not what I was. He is dyslexic. And I was like, if this guy could do this, I could do it too. Like, I think a lot of my my views around mentorship changed then. But one thing too about um, energy and all that is that I figured out that, or I discovered that when I spend, like when we have a day of a poetry event, I'll be high up, but then by evening, I'm so broken that friends are like, oh, let's go and have a drink. I'm like, yeah, no, man, I can't. <laughs> I just can't. They're like, oh, you're such a party pooper. Why are you not coming? Like, I just, I, I can't. Like, yeah. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an event host and yeah. I love it to death. I'm an extrovert and that is still my experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the past, my wife would tell you like, I'll disappear for two weeks and then show up. Like, I'll, I'll have this period where I'll just go offline. She'll call me. I wouldn't pick up. Like, it's one of those bad things. I look like, I was such a terrible boyfriend, fiance, and I'm, I'm working hard on being a good husband. Like, I'll just go. Mm. I'll just go. I wouldn't show up to class. I wouldn't show up to anywhere. I'll just stay home and just, just lie down there. And then, unless when I get, like, enough pressure to go pee, then I'll go pee and then return. All, all right, I'm hungry. I need, to, I need to eat so I can stay up awake and then just gaze at my, my spirit. So you're just laying in your bed. Yeah. Not doing anything, not reading not anything. Not even TV, nothing. Nothing. How no. many hours could you do that? I spent like a week doing that. Really? Like yeah. Like eight, 10, 12 hours just laying in back bed? Back to back. Uh, like, so I'll sleep for like two, three hours and then wake up. I'll be up the whole night. And then anybody knocks on my door, I wouldn't open up. Like, you just knock and knock. I was like... And you were just laying I was there. just laying there. Wow. Yeah, not doing anything. And not even knowing what was going on. Like, I wouldn't have any idea. Like, actually, I should, need, I, I should get out and get help or something. I would not, I'll have no clue what was happening. And then one day I'm like, all right, I should take a bath and I'll take the bath. All right, I should go outside and I'll go outside. And then before I realized it's two months and I'm like, oh, that was such a dark time. But I didn't know what happened. I didn't know what caused it. Just it just passed by. It just passed. And for me, one, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'll call it a good thing. It's like, I didn't think of trying to hurt myself. It was just, I would just lay there and feel useless mm. and not have any need to do anything. But the thought of maybe I should, and it never crossed my mind. So that's one thing that I think I'm grateful for that in my periods of darkness, I just like, all right, this just sucks terribly. I'm so worthless and I should just lay here. Yeah, you were, it sounds like you were almost actively detached. I don't even know how to label it. It's not that I'm talking to my therapist and I don't think I've even told her about that yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, um, 
I think the way the culture is in Cameroon, you can't, you would never know that somebody's going through such periods because there's always something happening. Like you either have to go to school or mm-hmm. you have a party or there's a friend. Like people will force you out of your depression or dark times without even realizing that they were helping you or that you, like they would jolt you into this way or you think like, oh, I just feel this test. That's what's making me feel bad. So I'm just going to work hard. So you direct your energy now somewhere else. And then somehow, I don't know, through community, you find yourself feeling quote unquote better, but you're not. Like you haven't dealt with the problem. So it will return eventually. Right. Yeah. You're just distracted from the problem. Exactly. So that's the word. We get distracted for years. Right. Like for two years, I was distracted by the fact that I made the wrong choice. I had no idea. I was actually struggling with school. Like, even now that I'm thinking about it, like the wrong choice in terms of taking the science path. Yes. Okay. That was the wrong choice. And people might rationalize it anyhow. Like I'm like, oh yeah, you made the wrong choice, but you ended up well. Like I can see my life being way better, way happier if I actually followed what I thought was already the right thing. Well, so, do you think you would have met Queenie? No. Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> you <That's>, never know. <laughs> there is that thing that happens in conversation and it's happened with people where they're like you know what? Don't regret anything. Right. And it's like, to me, that's so annoying. (laughs) It's like, if we, if we can't face some mistakes we made, then how are we going to move forward and make better choices? Like, it's okay to admit, like that was a dumb choice. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Maybe, you know, label, whatever, but (sighs) it's like, I appreciate that you're saying that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, like, Sometimes it's you made a bad decision and it sucked, right? And, and that's what they just like. I think I'm coming to terms with the fact that life is just a bundle of things that you have no control over, mm. and trying to change any of that and getting angry when it doesn't change is just a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, now for example, my wife and I have to move next month, uh, June, and we have no idea where we're going to go to. I could have beat myself like, oh my god, I'm just building these relationships now, meeting Danny and all these cool people. And I have to leave them. Or can be like, you know what? I'm here now, and I might as well do the best I can do with what it is now. And when we move, we move. Right. And I don't know whether it's optimism, but I feel like there's some logical aspect to me. I'm very logical. My therapist keeps saying I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't think with emotion. I think with like my mind. Like, okay, if this, if this, then that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I was like, well, I'm here, and I can't change what is going to happen. So what can I do? I can take care of what I can take care of. And one way that going back to the whole idea of to my whole depressive periods is like one thing that also happened that I almost I actually almost called off my wedding. I was in this place wow. where, yeah, that's something that I think I wrote that once, but it was like one time. And I'm glad nobody read it. <laughs> like, we were, um, Queenie, she, so she came to Cameroon, she visited, and then she went back. And then when I got it, I asked her to marry me. She said yes. And it was one year before we ever we just saw each other again, like one year back to back. So she, she applied for my visa in June, and I came to the US in June, like literally a year after she applied before we got the visa. And a couple of months before that, like six, seven months before that, I was in this place where I started thinking like, maybe I shouldn't move. Maybe I should just stay here. Like I I was working at a job that was okay. I hated it, but it was, I was making some money and my parents were here. My family was here. And I I was, I was like a, what a popular star, like around the area. People knew I was a writer and all this creative thing. I was doing all this cool stuff. I was like, maybe I should just stay here and this would be nice. I, I got really scared of change. Like, yeah, moving to the US natural. what would happen like I'm leaving everything behind and I just stopped picking her calls I just 
stopped. I was like, okay, maybe I'll just, if I just wheel this, it would just disappear and then I'll wake up and this would have never happened. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So and many people dream of that. <laughs> let's ignore yeah. that problem. Let's just, let's just forget about it and it'll yeah, go away. It never but, happened. Yeah, but the calls kept coming in and that's one thing for me. It's, that's what made our marriage because she never gave up on me. Like she, she, she called and called and called and messaged and tried to reach out through everybody, everything. And she was about to give up. Like she told me later that she was about to give up and she decided to call my dad. And my dad just told her, you know, just, just give me one second. Just hold on. Just hold on. Give me one second. And my dad calls me. And for some reason, I actually picked up my dad's call. That's like, it was um, one of those periods where my father came through in a way that I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm proud of having this guy as my dad. Like, this is a really cool dad. <laughs> and he called. I was like, what's up? I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing well. I was like... So you answered for him. Yeah, I answered for him. And that's the first call that, you answered yeah, for. Yeah, that was the only call. I had like 100 or something calls. Like, that was the only call I actually picked. Like, yeah. Like, he was just like, are you okay? I was like, nah, I'm not. I was like, what's up? I'm like, I'm just going through a dark time. And he's just like, you know what? You know I love you, right? I mean, in Africa, in Cameroon, it's difficult for a parent to actually tell you that they love you. So when, it, when they do say it, you're like, oh, this is, this is special. <laughs> like we don't, yeah. we don't, we're not very... Um, I mean, some maybe some parents are, some families are, but and I'm, we're working on hours now. I actually, tell my mom now that I love, her, and she tells me too. But in the past, it wasn't something that we did regularly. Like, mm. I love you, son, or I love you, mom, or something. We don't do that. And that just gave me the chills. <laughs> Honestly, I started to tear up a little bit. That was beautiful, Congo. <laughs> Thanks. So, and he was like, Queen is going to call you. You should pick up and talk to her. Just, just listen to her. Listen to what she has to say. You don't have to say anything. And then he drops, and she calls. And I pick up and we're talking and um, I tell her like, I don't think I want to do this. I, 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 like, this is weird. I tell her in the same conversation, like you're the only person I want to spend the rest of my life with, but I don't think I should be with you. Like, it's just so <laughs> inconsistent. Like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know? And then she points that out and then we are both crying and talking. And then she just, I think she, she forgave me for everything. And she was like, dude, you need to talk. And I think that was one time where I decided, like, you know what? No matter what happens, no matter how angry, upset, sad I am, or anything that goes on, I would rather tell her and then have her upset at me than just stay quiet. Like, even even now, I'm still learning how to communicate with my words. I still trip. I still say things before I think. I still say things that piss her off. But I'm like, it's better she gets angry at me than I just disappear. And yeah. Ever since that time, I've just been working on my communication skills because I don't feel like I'm good at writing because I have time to think. I can figure out the words I want. But when I talk, I say things like, okay, I didn't mean that. This is what I meant. And then I've already said what I said. So it, it gets harder for her because she's an extrovert and she's very picky on her words. And we have this weird fight sometimes about what I said, even though I meant something else. And it's I moving here in November and being with someone that you love so much and then seeing that you're different and that you have to adapt and you have to change. It's, it's been a whole learning journey. Yeah. I've learned so much about myself, what I like, what I hate, what I can stand, just living here with Queenie. It's like one of those things where in my whole life, all the relationships that I've been, I've always been just, I feel like I've been coasting. I've, I've been present. I mean, there are a few that stood up were like, oh yeah, I could marry this person. But I never actually went in knowing that if this person left me, I would probably want to kill myself. Like, if this person wasn't in my life, I don't know what I'll do. When I go out with Queenie and she's extroverted and she meets people and talk, I, I can count on her to be the one saying what I'm thinking. Like, I don't need to do the work. And I, 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 that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, she knows me. I don't dance. I don't talk to people I don't like. Like, 
I have these really quirky things that she knows and she likes them. And I'm I'm grateful that she's actually, you know, I found somebody who's like, yeah, you're weird, but I like your weird. <laughs> and then now I'm so grateful. I know that this is a person I want to spend the rest of my life with forever. And yeah, my career might change. I might write, I might do audio, everything. I might move. But if she's there, I'm, I'm it doesn't good. doesn't matter. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn, dude, that was so good. <laughs> oh my god, I don't even know what to say. I'm just like, it's it's one of those things that I, being with Queenie, I've learned how people miss great relationships because they're thinking it's going to be like the Romeo and Juliet kind of love where you meet and you have sparks and it's awesome. Like on the phone, we were awesome. Mm-hmm. We were great. It was like we have a fight and I can go and take a walk and come back. But here we have a fight and I'm looking at you. You're right there. And I can't go away. <laughs> yeah. And it's different. That's <laughs> like, yeah, a little more. Yeah, it's it's a lot more. It's and then she too has her issues. Like it's not just about me dealing with my moving and for the first time in her life she has somebody she has to care for, somebody who is new in the country, somebody who is figuring out what is going on. She has to drive me around and she has to deal with my creative urges. Because she's been here <laughs> since two thousand six. Yeah. Wow. And she's never had to deal with somebody who needed her for everything. Yeah. Like that's a whole different ball game. You're in a dependent state. Yep. And some days it's great. It's like, yeah, I don't need to do anything. Some days it's like, man, I wish I could help around you. I really wish I could do something. So when I get like a job where I earn what? A hundred, two hundred dollars. I'm like, yay, we got some money. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is awesome. Like now, that, I mean, I have a, a really cool guy who's been helping me out, giving me some really, some jobs to help to film and edit uh, Tom Hightower. Like he's a really nice guy who. And he's paying of, you. Yeah, he's paying me. Like Dang. out of the blue, he didn't see any of my work. He was like, I mean, we met in church. So my supervisor, like what my boss at church, Chandis was like, Hey, um, he was, so we're talking and I was like, Hey, what do you do? And I'm like, Oh, I'm doing this whole creative thing. I do videos and stuff. He's like, okay, cool. And that was it. And then I get an email where he introduces us both like, hey, by the way, Tom needs a video guy and you told me you'd like video. So, all right, you guys meet up. And I met with Tom. Tom was like, all right, we're going on Tuesday to do the video. He hadn't seen anything I'd done. And he just trusted me from the get-go. And it's one of those things where I'm like, if somebody could trust me like this, then why should I not trust other people? Yeah. Yeah, and when I work with him and we get the job done and he's happy and I bring home the little I can get, I'm like, I'm helping around here. And that feels really great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that point of trusting you, yeah, I feel like there's, I feel like there's an energy you can sense in people when you meet them, yeah, and you can just roll with that. I guess I'm speaking to when I first met you, and you were like, "Hey, I can volunteer. I can help you create this podcast." You you set some pretty crazy, unrealistic expectations <laughs> where I was like. Okay, nobody has ever volunteered this much time to do something and know that I have no money at this point. And there's just something in my gut was like, I think I I just like trust that Comga can do this. Like, there's just like a connection sometimes I feel like between humans. Yeah. That when you do the work, when you are present with yourself, you just emanate this energy. Yeah. When you say that, when you talk about energy, it reminds me of my friend Danielle. Danielle is this, she's like a being of energy. It's like she does music and she sings really well. And whenever we have conversations, I'm like, man, I I mean, I, I know you're my sister, like a human, but I wish you were my sister, like in real life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's something that I feel like in my life, I've had people pop up at periods that I, I had no idea. Like people who, like my best friend T, who is like, 
he'll send me this random audio like he'll see these random videos on the internet and send it to me like and it would like hidden messages in them like only I would figure out because we have like this same wavelength that we connect at different levels yeah and funny story we did the, the Harry Potter test like the Potter house thingy oh I just did that me oh, and really? my roommate what house what that. house are you in I got in Gryffindor and I was so Good happy for you <laughs> I know <laughs> Because I used to be a Hufflepuff. Yeah. And hey, no offense to Hufflepuffs out there, but I did not like that one. Oh, I'm a proud Ravenclaw. And yeah. he is my best friend here. So like, oh, we're so Ravenclaw. Let's rave the claws here. <laughs> rave the claws. Yeah. So nice. people, you're right. You meet people and then you connect. And I feel like there is, I, 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 there's this book I need to read called Mindset by uh, Carl S. Dweck. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. emotional intelligence uh, queen. Yeah. So there's, I, I agree with most of these writers about the whole ideas of mindset, like this growth mindset and this scarcity mindset. Like when, for example, I feel like we, we sometimes uh, not want to do things or help people because we're like, oh, there's not enough money, there's not enough time, there's not enough this. And that mindset makes sure actually that you don't get enough of what you actually want because I think you give off what you get. Like, yeah, I have earned so much from people who like, okay, you know what? I don't know. Like Alex, the, the mentor I talked about who at this cool place I worked at, we met online. From my writing, he reached out and we talked and we had this really cool conversation for like two hours under the rain. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe somebody's saying this about me. Like he was telling me all these cool things about me. I had no idea I had. And he empowered me to be, I think he he really played a role in building my confidence in myself mm. and taking risks. And it's it's funny that eventually I quit the job and he was upset. He fired me. <laughs> like he actually fired me, but we've maintained a relationship after that where it's not not at the peer level, but it's like, I respect you and I know that you respect me and it's really cool. Yeah. And I think to navigate the world, you need to trust people and know that you can trust people who will fail you. And yeah, you'll get burned. You get burned. I, yeah. Man, when I look at all my, like, there was this relationship I had with this girl <laughs> when we were breaking up. She told me, um, I'm glad I didn't end up marrying a psychopath. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Like, she called me a psychopath. Like, she's so glad she didn't end up. Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was God. that was intense. Okay. Talk about choosing your words wisely. <laughs> yeah. And there was another breakup. Like, I've had some really weird breakups where I was moping around and begging her to date me. She was like, you know what? You're going to be fine. Stop moping around. You're not this and that. Like she, I was like, whoa. I, I, you're right. I shouldn't be moping. If this is the way you're going to cut me off right i shouldn't be doing that and funny thing is almost all these stories my parents never heard about any of it mm. like i never had any elder brother or older figure who'd be like hey this happened this is how you should navigate these waters like everything i learned about heartbreaks and life and even spirituality is like books or some people coming out in key times in my life and just leading me like mm. it's like when i look at my life now thinking about church and working, volunteering in my church and thinking of trying to build a better relationship with Jesus, it had almost nothing to do with my parents. Like, I was raised Catholic. Mm. Went and to you're church still Catholic. No, I'm not. I don't consider myself Catholic right now. But you still believe in Jesus. I do, but mm. not Catholic. Like, I don't I don't go to the Catholic church, basically. But I do consider myself a Christian and I attend uh, Smoky Hill Vineyard Church. Oh. Yeah, that's where we got married and that's where I got the job for the video guy and that's where I volunteer on most Sundays mm. at the video, the camera. And 
Those it, Christian churches, I feel like they have so much money for video <laughs> because they have the craziest high quality videos. I don't know. I mean, that camera looks like it's been there for years. So I'm like, oh, really? you buy it once and that's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's an investment and then it stays there. But the, the thing about my church, it's not so much about the church with the people. Right, the like, community. Yeah, when I got there, I was like, these guys are too nice. This is not true. This is not, it's not possible. People can't be this nice. Like, I, I had my inner skeptic, like, yeah, after a few months when I'm done being the new immigrant, they were like, all right, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> get on the, get on the right. program. Right. But they've been nice and organizing these really cool community events. And it's not so much about, oh, read the Bible and this is how Joshua lives, so you have to live this way. It's like, how do you apply the word of God in your life today without, like, how do you literally take what Jesus said and, apply it in your life mm. and it's so much more about love than hatred it's much about inclusion and separation it's much more about living as a community than yeah. trying to say oh those are bad people don't don't go there it's like living your life the way that you feel works with what you believe is what jesus wanted mm. yeah wow amazing i connected <laughs> a lot of our initial conversation back to this moment <laughs> there's something i've been holding on to that you said earlier and yeah. it was about when you decided to start like pursue Queenie. Yeah. And there was this moment in you. And I think a lot of people have this moment. They have this, they have this way of reacting to scary situations and yours was to kind of just leave society in its way. And yeah. then on the other end, you mentioned, well, I could either disappear for two weeks and feel horrible or I could face what I'm scared of. And part of what I heard was just being in conflict with people, being in conflict with Queenie at those moments where you feel like you said something dumb and you get yelled at. Yeah. And so in both cases, you're uncomfortable. Either way you lose. <laughs> Either way you lose, right? Yeah. And then the uh, but on the other end, there's so much more to gain. There's a chance of winning if you go in conflict. It was like, I mean, just last week we ha we had this fight where I remember what happened. What was a misunderstanding? Like basic human error, and we both we weren't talking to each other for like the whole day. Like, hey, good morning, good morning, and that was it. Mm. And she said something that really upset me, and I was like, you know what? In the past, I would find a way to get back, but this time you have to apologize. I mean, I said it to myself, like in my head. Like basically, I'm not going to do anything about it until you figure out what you want to do. And I saw myself in that moment realizing that I'd grown to the point where I would choose to fight till I made my point. No matter who it was, whether it was the person I loved or not, because I realized that I'd given up so much of my self like I, I was taking responsibility for things that were not my fault oh yeah yeah where somebody I'm would do totally, something wrong I totally do that yeah somebody would say something dumb I'm like oh I'll start justifying what they said like no he's probably angry he's probably hungry like he didn't mean that instead of saying like you know what what you did was wrong and it's very recent like, I think it's therapy that is really helping me realize my errors like the things that I'm doing that have been natural for me but don't work out really well in the real world because if you keep taking responsibility for everybody's fault or for everybody's errors, then you end up being the, the dump. Like, like, all right, if something happens, he would apologize. I don't need to do it. But in the moment of conflict where it's like, all right, something is going on and I could either forget about it and then just let it disappear or deal with it. And I'm thinking that if I keep doing it on little, on a small scale, like I keep letting the thing slide and slide. And one day you wake up and you've built this whole machine where you are in charge of everything that goes wrong. Right. And I think I'm more scared of that than the initial conflict of the moment where I'm more scared of getting up and not recognizing myself, not realizing what I made than 
saying something dumb and then learning in the moment through pain. Right. So I, I think I would rather take uh, what uh, short term pain than long term pain. I, I I'd rather just deal with that in the moment now. Yeah, and it sounds like you learned at at one point in this that ignoring shit isn't gonna work. Yeah. It's weird. I'm thinking about the fact that I learned it through cleaning my house. Like, living alone <laughs> and then realizing that if I don't clean this up, it's not going to get clean. So I was like, I don't have a choice. <laughs> right. I, was, I think that's, what, that's like one of my, my key phrases. I always say like, yeah, what's a, what's, what's, what are my options? Like, I, I don't, I have to deal with this. I really don't have a choice if I don't clean up. I'm more organized than my wife. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you're you more organized than, wow, that's, that, I did not see that one coming. We are a perfect team. Like, <laughs> I clean up I, I I like doing the dishes, but I hate I hate cooking. She hates cooking, but she has to cook because I I fooled her into believing like you know what I'll do the dishes and then you cook. How about, how about <laughs> that's like a good deal, right? You're a mastermind. <laughs> so now it's like, and I took the month off the internet to get actually that in order because I realized that as much as I was spending so much energy in my creative pursuits, I wasn't spending enough energy in my relationship with my wife. Mm. Like I wasn't making time to actually sit and have quality time with her. Like all right. What you want to do? Let's do that. Yeah. It was always like she was. She always. She felt like she was interrupting me whenever I was reading or writing or something, and I felt bad. Like, wow, this is this is not working out. Yeah, yeah. So I decided to actually make time. I know that or Sundays, for example, I've decided like Sundays are my days off. We go to church, we visit family, and we hang out. We watch a movie, sit, chill. Like I'm not touching my phone, not Set on the that internet. Time. Yeah, create those boundaries. I, I think that's something that people don't realize. Like you find yourself in these habits of doing the same thing over and over because you're going towards this goal like I need to build this business I need to be a good employee where you forget how the people in your life like your family like siblings who are not related to that work don't see how much work you put in and then they don't get the you that is real because you don't make time for them because you yeah. don't, you're not intentional with that relationship and it's something that I, I, I am now so much more biased towards like I really want to have more intentional relationships in the real world I can write, I can do all this creative work, but Stephen King said something in his book about how his table, his writing table is at the side of the room because life sustains the writing, not like writing sustains the life. Wait, he said something about one sustains the other. Mm. So basically you don't write because of like, life allows you to write. It's not writing that allows you to live. Mm. So you should write because life exists, not just write because life exists. So your whole life should not be surrounded by oh i need to create i need to make things i need to succeed right. you're not a tool you're not exactly and i'm i'm hoping to become a dad someday i'm like what kind of dad would i be and when i ask that question to myself I'm like what kind of person would i be because mm. for me and i want to get girls i need in this world raising girls is such a hard job like it, it's yeah, difficult to raise a lot girls. of barriers yeah and as a man raising women, it was like, I need to learn a lot. So I'm always in this place where I'm like, I need to get better at being a person, like a good, nice person. And I feel that if left to my own desires, I'm, I'm not going to be a nice person. Like, I need to be intentional. Mm. I, I, I think I'm very selfish. I think I'm, I'm very one mind. I need to create, 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 create. If I don't pause, I'm like, all right, who are the people in my life who need me to just be present? Yeah. It never happens. You know? Yeah. So... When you said you want to have girls, yeah, and as a man raising a girl, and there's so much to learn. I think as a man myself, there's so so much to learn that like obstacles that we don't have to face that women have to face. Agreed. So how how would you suggest going about that process? <sighs> That's an interesting question. Um, or what are you? 
I some something happened with a friend of mine. He he wrote, he read something on on Twitter where he said um, he was talking about the rape culture and indecent dressing. He was trying to he was trying to make a point, but he kept failing. He was trying to make a point about how you shouldn't forget the the decency conversation while talking about rape culture. But in essence, he failed completely because he was relating to unrelated things. So his argument almost ended up being like women shouldn't dress in a weird way because they end up being raped. And right, like victim blaming. Yeah, victim blaming. And I got very angry, very upset because even the word feminism, I, I still, I consider myself a feminist, but sometimes people take the word and then just pull it out to be like man hate and uh, what equality of the sex. Like there's all these extremities about the word. And I feel like people don't understand that feminism is really about recognizing that there are inherent disadvantages that women are faced on a daily basis from birth to death that only humanity can solve. Like it's not just women who have to deal with it. And like you said, we are better prepared. Like we, we there's some things we don't face because we are men. Like right. just because we're born male, we have a past. We're given, yeah, we're given privilege. Yeah. And, and so how do you, I mean, how do I solve that? How, how do you, you well, how do you even empathize? I guess. Cause like, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day mm-hmm. that as a man, I can't have true empathy. I agree. For what a woman goes through. A hundred percent. I feel like it's one of those things where the first step is to recognize that you can't like the first step. The reason what I was talking about this one was like, you should know when to have conversations or when you're not ready to have those conversations. Like yeah. there are some conversations that men shouldn't have because they just can't. Yeah, yeah. I it's like understand. It's like the way to solve, for example, mental health in Africa is that I feel like only Africans can become therapists because they understand the culture and solve it. Like there's just certain things that come with a, with being a woman that as a man you can't understand. Yeah. And for me, one step, like the biggest step that I think you're doing is giving a stage for women to tell their stories, mm. because it's like you need to know what a woman is thinking and why she's doing what she's doing and what she's gone through to picture yourself. It's just like to at least yeah. know that emotion that they're having. Yeah. Like it's, to feel it in some way. Not that we can get there, but... Just thinking about it just makes me upset because I think of all the men who are like, ah, what are you talking about? This is not fair. Like, it's, there's just certain things that because of who we are, we just can't understand. It's like me, for example, trying to understand what it means to be black in America. I mean, I just moved here six months ago. I can't sit here and like, oh yeah, racism is this or that. But people who've been here their whole lives, who've, who've been discriminated upon, stand and they'll say things that were like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's just the truth. Mm. I think acknowledging already that we, we don't know what we're talking about is the first step. Then giving a stage for them to talk about the things that we don't know about. Yeah, and, and just then, listen. Yeah, and then the third thing will be to actually point out the males, like get get the bros to understand like, yo, what you did was nice. Uh, this is not how it works. Like actually not I think supporting- that's the toughest step for me. Yeah, not supporting- behaviors that promote that kind of thing for against women right yeah it's and it's hard it's it's hard having the hard conversations it's like yeah it's easy when you meet somebody who sees what you're like yeah i, I mean we're having this conversation now we're on, basically on the same wavelength you're like yeah, right. yeah, yeah this is an echo chamber right <laughs> exactly <now. laughs> when you meet somebody who says some really stupid thing like wait man why did you say that right. i think it's it's hard but it's worth it it's like i want to be the kind of person who stands by was it? I was watching an interview with um, Gwyneth Paltrow. She was talking on uh, what what radio show was this? This popular radio guy, uh, Howard Stern. Yeah, I think it was Howard Stern on Sirius FM. Where she was talking about an instance where Brad Pitt stood up to Harvey Weinstein, and she was like, "Oh, he was a really nice guy and everything." I was like, "That's the kind of relationship that that's the kind of thing I want to be proud of. Like, I want to be able to sit and say someone like, this man stood up for me.'" 
and he didn't know what I was going through. He had no idea what it was. He didn't feel my pain, but he understood that what was going on wasn't fair. Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. felt like Brad Pitt was standing up for her yeah, like to he, Harvey Weinstein. Yes, when they were dating a long time ago, like before everything. I mean, he's Hollywood, yeah. so yeah. So right, right. she she felt like he did what before Brangelina. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even follow the news. I don't know at what point this is right now. <laughs> and we need to stand up for the women in our lives, like not yeah. just like. Not just in our lives, but everywhere. But now there's a sad thing. It's like, well, and, and maybe even I would even argue, like, because that that's always the the tricky part. I feel like in these conversations is like men protecting women, which I've been pointed out that that is a base of like violence too. Yeah, and it's like giving, like, how do we empower? You the know, women. without like feeling, you know, how do we both stand up and sit back? That's and empower because like it feels like a tricky it feels like a tricky fucking line <laughs> I think as I'm taking the easy part which is raising them from childhood and empowering them from birth <laughs> it's yeah. like it's easier <laughs> when they have to just learn everything from scratch like yeah this you could you could be anything You, I would support you so you're like oh my dad supported me all my life I don't know why you're gonna tell me nonsense like mm-hmm. you know and then the other part too of the conversation which ties to that is there's some women who actually like things the way they are mm-hmm. like patriarchy is not just male centric it's like a male focused agenda but there are women who actually prefer to just step back and let things go on right which is it makes sense because it's um it's the way things are right it's it's the more comfortable way yeah. i would say i know like us i don't know but I, I i mean i can't speak for them i don't know why they would choose that um i mean it's like why would a man some 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 things are just i think it goes back to what can we actually do in the world to, to change. And it's like, you can do what you can and then find the people who work with you and amplify those voices. Like yeah. everybody I meet and I connect with, I feel like, I mean, one of the reasons why I left for the, for the month is like, I want to connect with creatives offline and do creative projects that have nothing to do with the internet because you don't know what one conversation can do. You don't know what right. one podcast episode could do. You don't know what one sentence could literally blow somebody's minds away. And we can do only what we can and grow. Yeah, we start with a podcast and then get a company and then get a book and then everything that you do, if it has layers infusing that, whether you build a character that is you know a multi-dimensional character that actually stands for you know equality, or whether you 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 write a story about this girl who didn't understand why her dad wouldn't let her go to school, like telling those stories where we show out those aspects of the world would actually be a better place if we treated every person the same way, like equally. Right. It just makes what sense. A concept. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> like, it's just, we suffer because women are put in the back. Women are much more emotionally stable. They are much more resilient. Like, even in Africa, um, most husbands die before their wives. Like, generally speaking, not just because of the age difference. Like, I think that's like a biological <laughs> thing, too. I yeah. think women generally live longer than men, scientifically. And if they're going to live longer, why don't they contribute more? Well, yeah, I mean, why aren't they given the space to contribute more? Exactly. It's like, it doesn't make sense that we shut down these voices that could actually contribute to the greater case of humanity. Like, yeah, I just, it doesn't, it, I don't, I can't compute how we'll come to an office and then the women who actually work harder, like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home dad. I, that's what we would have agreed. She's a, she's a med student. She can't do all the yeah, medicine. Queenie's on her way to being a fucking doctor. I know. So I have to be a stay-at-home dad. I'm like... As a male, I need to really rewire myself to know how to run a home, take care of a kid, and do all these things that I want to do, which is my writing and everything. And when I look at history, women who were able to do this 
like write, run a home and have kids and be a housewife and publish books, women were the ones who were able to do it. Right. Even in the entrepreneurship world. those are your inspirations. That's where I have to learn. Like they're really good at this. We talk about entrepreneurs these days and you see these people who talk about, oh, the hustle and everything. We're like, you're a mill. You don't have the same responsibilities that a woman has. If a woman says the same thing, they'll say she's not serious or she doesn't take care of a family. Right. Yeah. There's a lot more barriers. So, all, I mean, speaking of social barriers, because I think also, also, I just want to point out like Kamga and I are having this conversation about women, about feminism, about barriers in society as men. And I recognize that. And I think I would ask for grace from our listeners because I think we're both here trying to learn. Yeah. We and know. outside of just this one to one conversation, we're trying to learn. And so, um, feel free to Comments. call me out, comment, <laughs> right. Like, we want, I actually want to be called out. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how, that's how we grow. Yeah. And so, um, Kamga, with that, yeah. immigrating to the United States and coming to Denver, have you faced any barriers yourself? We had this instance at uh, a shop where my wife and I talked about it. It's one of those things I've never written about. It's like, I don't know whether the guy was just doing his job, but that was racial profiling. <laughs> because... We so we bought a cable like a hard drive. This this cord actually the hard drive cord. And um, I was trying to so I we took out the stuff trying to check out what I worked and what it were on the on the thing the how they call it the slab the I don't know it's called place where you put things. <laughs> and um, I was checking out if the cable worked. And this guy, an employee, walks up. He's like, "Hey, um, did you get that here?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh, yeah. Sorry, but it's a standard procedure. Can I see your receipt to know you know what that's?" And I give him the receipt. He checks it down. It's fine. And then we walk out. And then moments later, I'm like, wait, did we just get racially profiled? Like I asked my wife. And then she's like, it could be. Or he could just do his job. Mm. And it's one of those things where I, I started getting more and more conscious about my color and my own level of presence as what it means to be black in the U.S. And if I'm ready for it and what I actually need to know about it. Yeah. And that's like the one aspect of social barrier that I found where... I, I am much more aware of my color when I'm outside. Like my book club, I'm probably the only one, well, probably I'm actually the only black person in my book club on Tuesdays. And I don't know, like it's one of those things where I, I, I'm still juggling with the idea of, should I be comfortable with this? Should I be aware that something could happen? Like, what do I do? Like I'm just having this, this unease of not knowing how to actually be in a room where nobody else looks like me. Yeah. So that's like the one when it, when it says social bias is one thing that pops up in my mind, like my color and what is expected or the stereotypes or all that. Like, how do I how how do I cope with that? Yeah. So I'm still I'm still working. It's something I'm still figuring out and learning and just generally just appreciating what it means now. Because in Cameroon it was like okay, we are all the same. I mean we were very different. It's like twenty and thirty tribes. People speak different languages, different foods. Yeah. Like there's a different kind yeah, of difference. tribalism, nepotism, like different kind of. It's a different kind of difference, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now it's like, all right, I'm black. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's just it's just different. Well stated. Yeah. Um, that's the one major social barrier I think I've found here, and I don't even know if it's a barrier. I mean, I don't have a job, and I I'm just thinking of. I guess the, the the more I stay here, the more I, I get deeper into it and figure out what what is required of me as a person, as a black person, like all those layers of me, like creative, husband, soon-to-be dad, uh, immigrant, uh, writer, 
new person in town. Like this, all these layers I have to go through and yeah, so find myself. <laughs> complexities in your identity. Yeah, it's it's a journey. That's yeah. just to say. Dang. So what's what's up next? What are, what stories are you trying to tell? What are you <sighs> trying to create? You have such a well of experience and. And sometimes I, I wish I didn't have it. <laughs> I, said, I wish I, I wish I just woke up and I found like, hey, I'm actually good at this one thing. Great, so yeah. just do that one thing. Right now, I took the month off of February because I figured I, I discovered that I was busy, but I wasn't productive. I had a call with my friend uh, Sarah. She's so she's she's one third of the Not Another Book podcast. Another really awesome podcast that I like. They talk about books and like African books and authors and the whole you know literary space in, on the continent and across the world. And she called me on the phone. We talked for like, I was taking notes the whole time. And she pointed out something that I hadn't noticed, which was that a lot of the money for creators is actually offline. Like it's really in having physical jobs, like maybe not a job somewhere, but meeting people and negotiating and actually proposing your services. Mm. And... Versus just like cold proposals online or yeah, submissions. Or write or creating a blog or writing every day and hoping that something was going to happen, you know? Yeah, it's about the network. Yeah. And what happened was she pointed it out and it was, on, it was on the 25th. I remember because I wrote a date, so it was 25th of last month. And I was feeling overwhelmed. Like I I I used the word burned out with my wife, but that wasn't what I meant. It was just I was just feeling tired. Like I'm writing every day. So for from December 6th to January 31st, I wrote every single day on Medium. Every day I posted something on Medium. And every morning, I felt like my days were spread out. Like I'll wake up and then I'll ride and then sleep. Like it was just 24 hours just kept disappearing. Like I didn't see what I was doing and I'll write and I wouldn't get anything because at the end of the month, I'll make $91 for the month, which was pretty good for Medium. But I was like, I feel like I can put my energy somewhere else and then have more returns and have yeah. more impact than all this right because 91 dollars is yeah it's nothing compared to writing every single day <laughs> right like you you were writing a full-time job yeah so i took the month off and this is i'm really just stepping back to see what i can do and what i want the stories i want to tell that they, they keep coming around two subsets is creativity and immigration or travel like people who've left their home countries, people who've maybe left jobs, people who've traveled, who were born somewhere else and they had to find a home somewhere else. Yeah. And the initial idea was for me to get a podcast called Home Now where I'll talk about just people who've moved, like having to build new homes wherever they are. Yeah. But then I, I'm I'm trying not to diffuse my energy. So I want to really bring all those two ideas in one place where it's really a podcast on creativity and travel or creativity and immigration. Mm. And also talk about my loves, which are books and podcasts, where I talk about things that I learn and still are in the area of being a creative, like how to write, books to read, uh, ideas to, to try, tutorials on how to use social media as a creative to grow. So I'm trying to tie in my teaching and my learning and my experiences in one place. Yeah. And then now build a system that allows me to, say, for example, do a video interview, extract that audio and it becomes a podcast, extract your lessons and it becomes an article. So build a machine where I know what I'm doing when I'm doing it and then not get exhausted so I can actually have time to live in the real world. Yeah. And so what's next is, first of all, we'll find out where we're moving in March and we'll move to whether it's Pennsylvania or Cincinnati. I don't, we don't know where we're going to go. And then I'm working on launching my Patreon page so I can get people to support me because I feel like as creatives, we find it hard to realize people actually want to pay for us to do I things. Know. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. And a friend of mine, Elena, I, I, uh, Tucker, she's, a, she's like, uh, we met on Medium and then we met at the library. We've been talking a lot and she's actually the one who, I want to say she pushed me, but 
when I discussed the idea of feeling tired, she actually enabled me express my idea better and then go off the internet. And I know she wants to support my writing. Like I, I can feel that she loves what I'm doing and she wants to support me financially. Is it financially or financially? I'll keep doing that. Financially. Financially. Yeah. And I decided that you know what? There are surely other people who want to help me, and I'm not giving them the opportunity to. And I think it's fair. Like yeah, it's not it's not fair it's that a great mindset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm launching my Patreon page for people who want to help me out to actually help me out because I will do what I'm doing and I'll keep doing it forever. But bills have to be paid, and this costs. I mean, e- equipment and internet and right. getting better tools and. You know, paying services, hosting, all this stuff, man. It gets paid. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I'm launching the Patreon, systematizing my creativity, which is weird because creators always think like, oh, you have to just go with inspiration. But I think inspiration can be planned. So I'm systematizing my creativity and working on being a better human. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> That's the plan, man. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah. before we wrap up, because I'm feeling like this is a good finishing spot, Yeah. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about stories of displacement that you were talking about okay uh about is the, displacement the right word for it or is it I think more that's a pretty cool word displacement i think i guess displacement <laughs> implies somebody was forced to move oh yeah and, well, I, well in my head it was like just changing places basically that's what just i thought like, yeah just changing places yeah. i mean so what happened was in november that was a key period when i moved where i was like i was really down and i wrote this article titled um about those first few months as an immigrant i was i was really salty and upset like i like when i write when i'm upset because i my true emotion and my true emotions come out and i write this awesome piece that people really connect with because people feel the feel the pain in the writing right it's coming from your heart yeah and it really happens because i'm pretty now very happy and now i'm married she just makes my life better so that's <laughs> that sucks <laughs> but <laughs> you lost your creative muse i know anger <laughs> so one person who connected with me was trisha trisha is an immigrant she's an american i think she lives in france and she's she runs this platform called vagabond english trisha connected with me and opened up this world of immigrants. She has this uh, platform on Facebook, a Facebook group where it's people from literally all around the world. Like people who left Italy, moved to the US, moved to the US. Like they're, they're everywhere. And then they're all around talking about languages and books. So about immigration, about adapting and about all these things. So when I got in there, I also connected with uh, Elena Mutelana. She said, I don't know, I don't know if that's the way it's pronounced. She's an Ukrainian immigrant to the US who got married to Zimbabwean. Ooh. Yeah, they have two kids and they live here and she's actually, she runs a, her online business and does things. So I've met this really cool, I mean, Elena herself is actually, she left uh, Russia, Ukraine, Af- uh, well, USSR a long time ago. When she was 12 years old, she moved to the US and she also lives here. So I I find so much joy talking with people who've been through what I have been. And you connect on knowing like, you know, do you remember the first time I took a bus? Like, oh yeah, the first time I took a bus, I was so weird. Or uh, finding TV or fast internet. Like there's some things that most Americans would like take I for would take that for yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly, because it's like you've, you were born here, so it's natural that you don't see the difference. But we come from all these places where, for example, in Cameroon, internet, I had to pay, what, 10,000 francs. So $1 is approximately 500 francs US. So you can imagine already what you can do with $1 in, in Cameroon. You can actually get a meal, you can pay a cab, and yeah, probably get a meal and pay a cab. For $1. For $1. Oh, man. Avocados here, right? The small avocados. When we look at it, we're like this is this is the size of the seed of the avocados in Cameroon. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, the avocados here the size like of they're seed. like watermelon size. <laughs> yeah, I would well, no, swim watermelon. in that. That sounds I know. delicious. Like, we have we have a, a variety called uh, but we literally call it but because 
avocados we call them pears like that's how we call pear in Cameroon so it's not the same thing but um stories of displacement there are people who've seen the world in different views like different areas and you connect on being out of place like we literally connect on the fact that we are out of place we feel out of place and one thing too that almost rings true for when I was in Cameroon I used to hear the story over and over but I never thought it was real until I experienced it which is you leave home you leave your country where you were born and you go to this place looking for a better future or maybe for like me joining my wife or going for studies and you leave, for, you leave there for a long time so you go there as an outsider like you're new you're different either your skin color your language your accent everything is different about you. so you try to adapt you find out for example that you start learning how to speak like the people because you want to be heard you want to be understood and then you start picking up the habits of the area because you know you have to adapt you have to become a right. member of the community now after a few years you go back to the country and everything so you have a reverse culture shock yeah where you speak and people are like why are you americanizing like why why do you, do you think this is america like this is how we do things here this is so you you no longer have a home it's like once you leave you're done you go back and it's different you're no longer in touch with the reality on the ground you're not so you're not you're never american enough but you're never cameroonian enough oh man ever you're like so, in that limin, liminal space, that exactly, like gray area. Exactly. It's one of those things that only people who are there know what it feels like when you go back home and your own people are like... And it's so sad that many people... I, now I can feel it. People leave Cameroon, for example, other African countries, and they go and see how American systems are built. And like, okay, you know what? I could go back home and build a school, a library, a hospital. I could do these things. And you go back, you work so hard. Like, I mean, you know how people work here in America. You work really hard. Oh, you save money. You go back now and then you get fined with bribery and corruption and taxes. And people want to steal your money. And you're like, I came here to help develop the country. But the people hurt you more than you actually... It's, it's, it's sad. I know so many people who come back to Cameroon and they're like, this is not worth my fight. And they just go back and stay in America and they die there. And they're like, yeah, I don't think... I don't see why I should come and kill myself with people who don't realize that I actually came back to help and it's, it's just one of those stories where, especially for African countries, people leave, go get education, and then they come back to actually help push development, but they are pushed back. And it's some of the stories I actually want to talk about. Mm. Yeah. Wow, man. I would read those stories in a second. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's, I need to find a way to make sure that I tell them because I feel like I've been inconsistent. I, I get up with these cool ideas and I never follow through and... I think I'm so self-aware that I don't need the world to punish me. I just feel bad when I don't do what I say I'm going to do. And it's just yeah. something I'm working on. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you set, away, set aside February to... Yeah, to do that. <laughs> to do that. Mm -hmm. To follow through. Well, thank you so much for hanging out. Do Thanks, you feel man. good? Oh, yeah. This is great. Like, I feel like this was a session I needed. <laughs> Can we do this more often? <laughs> yeah. We're going to do podcast yeah. daily yeah. with Kamga and Danny. <laughs> yeah, that was. I, this is really nice. Thank you so much. Man. I yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah, I honestly, um, I didn't realize this was going to happen. I mean, <laughs> we were, I was playing and interviewing somebody completely different today. Yeah. Came together and magic, man. It feels good. Thank this, you. Thank you. Well, um, also Kamga is our producer and engineer yeah. for this podcast. So be I am on the lookout for more episodes. Yep. You're going to love it. I, I think this is, I fell in love with the, with the stories before I even saw what it was. And I'm like, you guys should tune in. This is you're going to listen to some amazing people talk about things that you've never heard of, like some vulnerable stories that will got you'll get you rewinding. Like, wait, did I just hear that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I look forward to you guys listening and sending your comments and everything. We'll, we'll look forward to all it. Wow, no one could have said it better. All right, see you later. Bye bye.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. Having these conversations is super important to me as a person and the backbone behind why we do everything at Soul Stories. I would be extremely grateful if you were to leave a review at iTunes and share this episode with someone you care about. It helps us build the movement. Until next time, this is Danny signing off.